0: Uh, I learned two new uh, phrases this week. I was thinking about uh, all the things that we see in the news and the world and things that bombard us today. And I, I read this, I wasn't aware that this was a term, but when I searched for it, it quickly came up, news fatigue. I don't know if you've ever had news fatigue before, but you start to read the headlines and you start to see all the things and how discouraging and frustrating and all that stuff and how quickly that can just be, it, there's a fatigue that comes with that, with seeing that. But then I, re- uh, I read another one, uh, a different term that I also had not heard was uh, called it doom scrolling. Uh, that you scroll through your phone and the headlines and you just look at all the terrible things in the world. One after another, after another, and after another. And in both of them, they were talking about how sometimes you just have to put your phone down and you have to quit looking at it. And you kind of have to push it away because if you start to look at all the headlines and all the things, because all the headlines and the things that get clicks... that sell the advertising that get people's attentions is usually the most negative and hard things. And so sometimes you just have to put that down and push it away because otherwise you just get overwhelmed. And it's hard at different times because you'll start reading the headlines and you start looking at what's happening and you start getting bombarded with the tragic daily. And the only way to mitigate it is almost just to kind of put it out of your mind. And it's not because you don't care. It's not because you don't love people or you care about what's going in the world. You just don't know how to take all that. It's just overwhelming. Like in a way, there's some really wonderful things about technology that's connected us in a way we've never been connected before, right? There's a war going on in Ukraine and in Russia. And we see that clearly right in front of us. 50, 100 years ago, you wouldn't have any idea in the way that we do today what was going on. But it's all right there in front of us. And so sometimes you have to try to put those things down and kind of push it away almost just for your sanity, to kind of stay sane in a world that there's so many things going on. But the truth is, even if you do that, even if you put your phone down and you turn the news off and you push those things away, no matter how you try to mitigate it, the longer you live, suffering will come into your life. And it won't just be the story on the other side of the world. It will come near. And It will be right in your face. And it'll touch down in your own life. And it won't be some story about what's happening on the other side of the world or a shooting that happened in another town or those things. It'll be right here because it happens to you. And if you've lived any amount of time, you know that to be true. I don't have to convince you of that. We could go around the room and tell of all the different things that we've had to deal with. You live long enough in the natural cycle of things. Most of the time, your parents die before you do. You lose your loved ones. You lose lose people in your family that you love. Maybe you lose a job and you get into financial difficulty. Maybe it's a relationship that breaks up. Maybe in sad times that you lose a child. Sometimes your spouse gets sick and they die. Sometimes it's a miscarriage. Sometimes your brother dies in a car wreck. And all those things come really close and they're right there. And there's no putting down your phone and pushing it away or turning off the news. All of a sudden, there's nowhere to hide from that. And when that happens, we all have to struggle with some big, huge questions. And so what we've been doing in July is we've been talking about different questions that we have as a body, as people submitted their questions. And this last week, what we're gonna talk about is just evil and suffering in the world. We got that question in a couple different ways. If God is good, and he's all-powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Why does he just make it go away? Or another way to ask it, was: does God actually send those things in our life, or does he just allow them? And how's he working in that? And I'll tell you, no matter what your worldview is, it's a question that you have to wrestle with. You may say, well, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in God. I'm not sure about that but you still have a problem if there's evil and suffering in the world. It's still difficulty. It's still hard when it comes in your life. Sometimes people try to resolve that with just saying, well, there can't be a good God because there's so much suffering in the world. So I'm gonna reject the idea of God altogether. C.S. Lewis famously spent a lot of his life as an atheist. If you know who C.S. Lewis is, he was an ardent atheist for a long, long time. And his reason was because of what he saw in war. And it was so much evil and suffering and it was right in front of him. I can't believe in a God that would allow that. But as God drew C.S. Lewis to himself, he realized. And one of the ways that God even brought him to faith was he realized that if I if I reject the idea of God and I'm angry at God because of the evil and suffering, but I reject the idea of God. Now I don't have a reason to be angry at the evil and suffering in the world. If I remove God from the picture, then this is all a random accident and evil and suffering and the harshness and the strong eat the weak is natural and normal. And why would we be upset? And Lewis said that actually became the thing that drew him to God instead of taking him away. But the question still remains is even if you are a Christian and even if you put your faith in Jesus, you still have the question of if God is all powerful and good then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And how do we answer that? And what do we think as we think on those things? And for most of us in the room, and some of you right now particularly, that's not just a philosophical question to be pondered. That's real and it's in your face. And you're dealing with it and you're feeling it. And it's a pressing question. And so I want us to think about that together today as we look at the book of job and the way we're going to do this is uh, it's probably a little ambitious but we're going to look at the whole of the book of job all 42 chapters don't worry we're not we're not going to be here till tomorrow <laughs> we're going to try to do that in our in our normal amount of time here but the way i want us to look at it is we're kind of kind of big picture over job first i want us just to consider what happened in job's life which we just read in chapter one secondly i want to us to think together and we're going to kind of make our way through the book as a whole just briefly overlooking all of it the ways in which job is trying to deal with it and he has lots of ups and downs and i love the book of job because when you read and you see it you see a very real person struggling with evil and suffering in the world and he has a lot of ups and downs and i want us to look at the way job's trying to deal with them because the way he's trying to deal with it is often the way we try to deal with it and so we're going to look at the way job tries to deal with it and then we're going to get to chapter 38 and God answers Job. And we're going to think about God's answer and what he says. And then lastly, I want us to consider why we can trust what God says. So let's start at the beginning with Job and this story of Job. What you get from the very beginning, you got it in a verse 1. You see it in verse 5. You see it in verse 8 of chapter 1 that Job is a good guy. He feared God. He turned away from evil. It even uses the term blameless and upright. In fact, that's the way God in verse eight describes Job. He was a good guy. Now we talked about this a couple weeks ago because the Bible says no one is good. No, not one. But then here it's saying he's upright and blameless. If you weren't here, we covered that question a few weeks ago. It doesn't mean that Job was perfect. It means that he was seeking to honor God in his life. When it talks about being blameless, he didn't lay blame but that is he would quickly confess his sin, repent. You see him doing that in uh, verse five as he's waking up early to pray over his family and his children and confess before God. And so it's not that Job was perfect, but he was a guy who was seeking to honor God in everything. And he was greatly blessed in his life. He has lots and lots of money, lots of uh, big house, all the things that go with it. And so Job is a very blessed man that seems to be a really good guy. But as the story goes, uh, Satan comes before the Lord and he attacks Job. God says to Satan in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. But Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and everything on every side? He blessed the works of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. He says, he's got it great. Of course, he loves you. Of course, he confesses you. Of course, he does those things because you've made his life really easy. And so Satan does what Satan does. He accuses. And he says, if you took those things from Job, if you touched him at all, he would curse you to your face. And so God says to Job, okay. You can take some of those things from Job. You can't touch him. You can't kill him, but you can touch the things that he has. And so right there, we have that question. Does God allow evil? Does he send evil? What is His part in it? And what we get in the book of Job is that God does allow it at different times. But I want to be real clear when we start to talk about what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. God never wills or does evil. Never has his genesis from him. He's not the one doing it. It is Satan here that is attacking and saying those things and coming after Job and coming before the Lord. And God allows him in that under his sovereignty to go and to make those steps, but God is still over it, but God is not the author of evil. He never wills or does evil, but he allows that in the life of Job. And so what you see is Satan goes after Job and his family. And you start to read from verse 13, down to verse 19, and it is an awful, awful story if you think about it. If you can put yourself in Job's shoes for just a minute, he gets attacked from all sides, his stuff is taken, his servants are killed, and then the last one that comes and it says the house fell down and your kids were all in it together and they're all dead. It's pretty intense. It's not an easy story. And so suddenly Job goes from this man who is upright before the Lord that has all these things to everything falling apart in an instant. And you read that and you hear that God allows that to come in his life. You get to the end of the chapter and to that question, Satan says, if you do this to Job, he will curse you to your face. And you get to the end of the first chapter and that's not true. Job says, the Lord blesses and the Lord takes away. And he worships him in the middle of it. And he trusts God and he tears his clothes and he sits down and he mourns. And that's the end of the first chapter. That is a heavy chapter. There's a lot that happens there, a lot that's really difficult. And you can go, okay, this is pretty awful. And all this happens to Job and God seems to allow it to happen. He's sovereign over it. Why? What's going on here? And I'll tell you, for 37 chapters, Job's going to wrestle with that. He professes faith in God. He doesn't curse him. He holds on. But you see a roller coaster of emotions after that. Yes, he's still operating from faith, but it's not easy. And so I want us to look at the way Job deals with it as we consider that question of why would God allow that? Why does God allow suffering at all? Why would he do that? And so as we work our way through it, we start to see the ways in which some of Job's friends say, some of the the lies that Job starts to believe. And I want you to think about each one as we talk about them for just a minute, because we do the same thing sometimes. And it's helpful to hear what Job says and the way he wrestles and the things that are here, because I think it shines a light on our own heart and the way we operate at different times. And so when we ask the question, well, how does Job deal with it? I think Job is honestly trying to honor God, but there's all sorts of doubts and struggles and things that flood in. And they're understandable considering the circumstances, are they not? Could anyone go through the things that Job goes through and not have moments of despair and doubt and being overwhelmed? I don't think so. And so what you get is Job starts to wrestle with this. Satan then attacks his own health and he's feeling awful. His wife even says to him, just curse God and die. His own wife says that to him, but he doesn't. But you get to chapter three and he gets to this place and he says, it would have been better if I had never been born. Chapter three in verse 11, why did I not die at birth and come out of the womb and expire? Or verse 13, for when I would have laid down and been quiet, I would have slept and then I would have been at rest. And so he gets to this place and it's in the middle of his suffering. At the very end of chapter three, he says, for the thing that I fear has come upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Would have been better if I died when I was born. And I want you to think about the belief that's underneath that. Maybe you said that, or maybe you said something similar to that, because what Job is believing in that moment is that no good can possibly come from this. Right, The thing that I feared, my greatest fear in life has now come, my family is gone, and all these things are taken. No good can come from this. And I don't know if you've ever said that. I've heard that at different times of people in the midst of their suffering. Say that very thing. No good can come from this. But I want you to really think about what we're saying when we say that. You are assuming omniscience when you say that. What do I mean when I say that? Omniscience is knowing all things. And you're beginning to assume omniscience when you get to that place. No good can come from this. What you're saying is, I know all the avenues in which this will resolve and all the things that will come in my life and none of them will ever make up or put or redeem this situation. And that's what happens in the sinfulness of our heart. We take the place of God. The thing that we don't know, that only God knows, we place ourselves in his place and we say no good can come from this. And if you've said that before though, I want to be real careful in the way I say that because I understand how you get there. I think all of us have felt something close to that if not saying that very thing at different times in our life. Because when the pain is so close and it is so near and it is so fresh and it is so on you, it is really hard to feel like anything good will come from it. But that's the first thing you see with Job in chapter 3. But then his friends come and they start to talk to him and they start to kind of attack him in different ways his friends trying to be helpful you read through the book of job a lot of times not that helpful they say a whole lot of things that are not real helpful when he's in the midst of his suffering and his struggling but they come to him and they say things like you must have done something really bad because god is letting you have it now and you must deserve it and there must be something there and this suffering in your life is because of specific sin in your life And they start to kind of attack him and come at him with that. That God's now punishing you. And maybe in your life when difficult things have come, maybe you've thought that. Feels like God's punishing me now. Like he's out to get me. You start to replay your life and the things and sin and struggle you've had in your life and feel like God's now attacking you. And that can feel very real in the moment. And sometimes... There is parts of consequences in your life because of your sin. Sin does have consequences. There are things that you do, like if you get in a car and you drive under the influence and you get in a wreck and you kill somebody, you go to jail. Right? Your specific sin had a specific consequence. But that's not God digging his thumb into you and saying, now I'm getting you because you did that. But that's what they're saying to Job. That's what they're telling him. That's what they're talking about here. And he says, well, wait a second. That's not true. He says, I don't think that's it. I have been seeking the Lord in my life. And what it tells us in verse 1 and what God says in verse 8, I think Job's probably right. He says, I have been seeking the Lord. God's the one that says this man is upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. But when we start to go down that road, specific sin equals God punishing us for specific uh purposes i don't think that's the case in fact they asked jesus that in luke chapter 13 some people come up to jesus one day and they say this big tower fell over there and then there were a bunch of people that were killed in this thing with Pilate, and their blood was shed and they say were they worse sinners is that why that came in their life and jesus goes no but unless you repent you likewise will perish he says, you focus on God and you repent from your sin and you continue to seek me and don't try to draw out this sin equals this suffering and those things. But that's what Job's friends are doing here. But what happens with Job as he hears that is he kind of makes his case and he says, I don't think that's the case. But then he goes to a different dark place. He says, well, all, sin seems to be indis- or all suffering seems to be indiscriminate. It seems like the good people sometimes suffer and the evil people or the bad people get away with everything. And it seems like God doesn't care and it's just arbitrary. And maybe you felt that way at different times. Maybe you've sought to be really faithful to God and you're trusting him and you have all these hardships in your life and you see people that don't seem to care at all and everything seems to be going great. And it can lead you to feeling like, well, that's not fair. Chapter nine, Job kind of gets to that place. He says in chapter nine in verse 22, it is all one, therefore I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. And what Job is saying is it doesn't seem like God cares. It seems like he allows these things to befall us and they come and he's indiscriminate and there's no rhyme or no reason. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe there are times in your life where you say no good can come from this. This is completely arbitrary. God seems distant and doesn't seem to care. But then lastly, I'll give you one more, and this is not the fullness of Job, but I'll give you one more kind of cycle he goes through. You get into chapter 30, and then at the end of 31, Job gets to a place where he's convinced of his innocence and he's kind of steeled himself against us and he's saying, it's not because of wickedness in my life, but then he starts to harden his heart towards God and then he starts to question and he starts to say to God, you answer me. Which that's what happens a lot of times in the sinfulness of our flesh when we try to make sense out of suffering. God, you answer to me. You tell me. I heard years ago, an interview with the actor Robert De Niro and somebody asked him uh if you if there's a god and you stand before him what do you want to say to him and he kind of chuckled like well I don't know that there's a god kind of blew that off he said but if there is a god and I do stand before him someday he's going to have a lot of explaining to do And I think what De Niro was saying was talking about the evil and suffering and the struggles and the pains and the hardships in life. But what he was saying is God's going to have to answer to me. And Job gets to that place in chapter 31. He gets to a place where he's so frustrated and he's so hurting and he's so in the midst of this and he can't see anything in his life that he thinks deserves this. And in chapter one or chapter 31 verse 35, he says, let the Almighty answer me. He says, I'm innocent, and why is it like this? And he starts to kind of point his finger back at God. And so you have all these different ways that Job starts to deal with these different things throughout the book. And I would just ask you, at different times in your life, can you relate to where Job is in any of these? Maybe you can relate to all of them. Maybe you can relate to all of them and then some. Maybe there's some things that I haven't even mentioned that you go, this is where I am right now. And I want to say to you, I understand. We are finite creatures in the midst of it and there's things beyond us. And sometimes it's really hard for us to understand the evil and suffering and the struggles and the hardship in the world. But when we go to things like it would have been better if I was never born, nothing good can come from this. Or we start to turn and act as if God answers to us. Or if you start to believe the lie that God doesn't care and he's unfair and he's harsh and he's exacting and he's arbitrary. All of those lead to a pretty dark place pretty quickly. And so Job cries out and he says this. His friend then speaks after that 32 to 37. Says some good things, encourages them in different ways. But then we get to chapter 38, and God speaks. And in chapter 38, verse one it says, "Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, "Who is this that darkens counsel by words, without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make known to me." And then Job begins, or I'm sorry, God begins to question Job for four chapters. And he says a lot. He says a whole lot of things. And for the sake of time, for me to try to read through all four chapters and show you all that, I'm going to show you a video. It's a song that comes straight from the words of Job, of God's answer. Beginning of the song is, why is the world the way it is? And then God answers. And I think the combination of the words of the song and the images that are there help us see clearly God's answer. And I want us to watch it together. And then we'll wrap up with just what is it that God says and how we can trust him. And so let's watch that together.
1: I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He said, Where were you the day that I measured? Sunk the base and stretched the I had no right to ask. My God knelt and answered me.
0: Do you get the idea? Do you hear what God says? Pretty much every word of that song is straight from Job. Chapter 38 through 41. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation Of the earth. Job and his assumed omniscience that nothing good can come from this. Why, like this? You answer to me, and God says, Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I did all of this? Where were you when I closed in the oceans? Where were you when the first waves broke forth? Are you the one that commands the storm clouds and tells the lightning where to strike? And he asked Job this just onslaught of questions. And he lays them out in front of him. And I love how it gets to the end. Is the whole world bending beneath your will? And if you read through to the end of Job, and you get that, and there's this question, what is God saying? What is He telling Job in the midst of that? If you have a God big enough to be angry at, you have a God big enough to trust that He's working in ways you can't fully comprehend. His wisdom is greater than ours. There are things hidden that we don't see that He sees. He sees the beginning from the end and we're caught in this little sliver of time in the middle of it and it feels so huge. And I'm not making light of that because I know some of you are right in that sliver right now. And you can't see past it. But what God says is I can see past it. And I am all powerful and I am good and I am at work and I am purposeful. And I am going to redeem your suffering. And even when you can't see it, I can. And it gets to the end. And you know what Job says? I uttered things which I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me. He repents. And he says, you're right, God. You know more than I do. And I'm going to trust you even when it's so hard and it's so difficult. And he continues to trust God. And get to the end of the book and God restores Job and his family and he gives them a new family and all these things. And I'm going to tell you, read to the end of Job and that doesn't mean that that happens that way for every single person throughout history. It doesn't. There's sometimes when a whole lot of things get taken away and then you die. So how can we trust God in the midst of all of that? I love that song because he says, Exactly what Job says, I uttered the things which I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me. But then the very last line of the song is, I had no right to ask, but my God knelt and answered me. And in Job's life, God speaks to him. Even though Job's wrong, and even though he's gotten to a place where he's shaking his fist, God in his grace comes to Job and he shows him and he gives him a glimpse of his glory. He knelt and answered him. But for us, where we sit today, we have a greater revelation than even Job had. Even in that conversation with God, we see more of the story than even Job did. Job's a pointer to someone greater to come. And when we're in the midst of our suffering and our pain and we go, yes, God's big enough to be angry at. Then he's big enough to be working in ways we don't understand. You go, Yeah, but it's so hard. But here's the thing that we hold to. God didn't just kneel and answer Job. God took on flesh and entered the suffering with us. And He's not far off. And there's nothing that you go through in your life that He doesn't know and then some. And the cross of Jesus is the reason that we can trust exactly what He's saying. Cause He's not a far off God. He's not indifferent. It's not that he sits in heaven and just says these things. He comes and enters in and he lives the life that we haven't. And he takes on the sin of the world and himself and all those that would put their faith in him. And God unloads his wrath on Jesus. And he knows every evil, horrible thing there is. And he brings it to nothing by his death and his resurrection. And so when we're in the middle of it and we go, I don't know how this works, we can look to Jesus and he says, trust me. I do know how it works and I do know how it ends. And I'm going to redeem all of it. And it's because of what I've done for you on the cross. And you can trust him. So the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews often says, is journey from weariness to rest, suffering in the world. And how do we get through it? And what's the answer? You look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so when you're in the middle of it, you continue to look to him. Christianity gives us resources for suffering that no other worldview does. Because we believe God has come and he has suffered with us. He has suffered for us. He has defeated sin and death in our place. And we can trust him that he's going to redeem all things because of that. Now, that's where my sermon ends. Last week, I asked the question. Somebody said, does God still speak to us today? I said, yes. It's through his word and it's in these ways. And we talked about that. I went for a run yesterday, which was awful, by the way. (laughs) Don't do that at three o'clock in the afternoon. That was really stupid. But I was running and I often listen to music when I was running. And I was listening to a song called Nearer My God. And the guy's singing over and over. Do you love me at all? And I've heard that song a lot. I like the song. It's one I'd listen to at different times. And I'm running along and I'm hearing that. And so clearly, God gave me this clear picture do you love me at all? And it was two different people. I don't, I'm not saying specific people, two people in a certain area. And it was the person who is saying to God, do you love me at all because of the suffering in their life right now? Because of the things that are so hard, because of tragedy and hardship and struggle, and you feel that way. And the other one was a person who's struggling with relationships in their life, and they feel the same way. Do you love me at all? And I can say this, that I feel like it is God saying it, because what he said to me so clearly was just his word. It wasn't anything outside of it. I was running and I was thinking about that and I was praying about this sermon and who would hear it today, and there it was. And so I, I don't know who that is. I don't know if that's for you. Sometimes people come up after a sermon and go, did somebody tell you what was going on in my life? No. I don't know who it's for. But I feel like if I don't say it, I'm not being obedient to what God said to me yesterday. The ways that was Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that was raised. Who is it at the right hand of God who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep led to the slaughter And then please hear this, verse 37. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please hear the truth of God's word if you're in the middle of it right now nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus because it's what he's done. Trust in him in all things. If you have a God big enough to question and be angry at, you have a God big enough to trust that he is working in ways that you don't fully comprehend. And because of what Jesus has done for us, he's proved it. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you love us so much that you don't leave us in the midst of our sin and our rebellion and our suffering and our struggle and our pain and our hardship, but that you've come to us to do what we could never do for ourselves in Jesus. Help us to see that afresh today. I pray specifically for those right now that are in one of those seasons where it is so easy to be clouded by the things that are right in front of us. Would you remind them that you love them? Would you overwhelm their grief with your grace? Would you show them in those moments of need that you love them and that you care for them? And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.